Hello and welcome back to the Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks podcast. Your humble narrator, Phil Dawson here. And this is it, folks. Our final chapter of Planeswalker. I have to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for helping create the small community that we have and enjoying the books along with me. And I'm still shocked every time I get an email that someone joins up on the Patreon. And by the way, we hit patron number nine, Ashnod. Huh? Tally, thank you so much. It's just wild, and I truly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I can actually tell my wife now, hey, I need to record a chapter tonight, and she gives me the, okay, go do it, instead of the look of, why are you doing that? So you should know that your support is making this possible, feasible, and an acceptable part of my lifestyle. So again, I thank you so much for that. If you want to support, you can. It's really helpful, and I think... It's starting to get some value added to this whole experience, so making it worthwhile for those who do join up is very important to me. The link to the Patreon is in the show notes, as is the Discord invite. The Discord is also starting to get pretty cool, and not to brag, but we were just joined up by a member who's been on the Pro Tour and topped eight a World Magic Cup. Hi, Pip! So join in. It's really just blossoming, and the more, the merrier. Everyone is so much fun so far. Also... As a schedule update, again, this really applies to listeners in real time or on our schedule. Uh, I'll be taking a couple weeks off from starting the next book. I start up a new job next week and have to get into the swing of things there. But my next two podcasts will be more infotainment as we'll have a review session going over and celebrating the accomplishments of finishing the two books just for fun. And then I'm working on having a guest to help us set the stage across the entire multiverse before we begin time streams. So I'll keep you posted on that, and I hope you will take a listen to those episodes as well. And if you could, let me know what you want to know about the first two books, the timeline, any character discussions, and any points of interest to you. Feel free to message me either on the Discord or on Twitter or Instagram, which you can find me at Phil in Sendai. It has been so much fun doing this with everyone, and I'm so glad to hear from you and be a part of it. Don't forget to give us that five-star rating on Spotify as well. We're still rolling with it, so let's keep it going, and let's finish strong. Chapter 24. The sun just had risen over the Kerr Ridge far to the east of Galmany Island in Effen Pincher. It would be a summer day with clear air and high clouds that wouldn't come close to raining on these desert dry stones. Koilos, the secret heart, was on the other side of the mountain where Zancha and Ratapi rested, waiting for Ratapi to recover from the three-step walk from Pincher City. Urza was already at the cavern. He'd sworn he wouldn't go looking for Gix until they arrived, unless Gix came looking for him. Ratapi sat on the ground, chafing his arms and legs against the morning chill and shock of healing. You think he knows everything? Zancha had just finished telling him what had passed between her and Urza on the gilded roof not an hour earlier. She was impatient to yawn out the sphere and get into the air, even though she knew there'd be no part for her or Ratapi to play in the coming fight. 
More than 3,000 years ago, she'd watched as other demons thrust Gix down a fumarole to punishment that had proved less than eternal. She expected Urza to do a better job and wanted to watch him doing it. He's still calling you Mishra. Radipi nodded several times. True enough, but he, but he was something in the sky last night over Pincher City. A little while ago, whenever, I got used to the idea that he was this crazed, foolish man who lived on the other side of the wall. I let myself forget what I knew he was. Through the weak stone, he was the man who came within an hour of destroying the world. You weren't the only one, Zancha confessed. You ready to finish this? All in a morning's work, Radipi joked grimly as he stood. Ava here's mercy. I should be happy. I, I am happy, but... Inside, I feel like I felt after I saw my father dead or when we were falling through that storm over the ocean and we were floating in your sphere. I, I don't feel a part of anything that's around me. If I ask myself what happens next, there's nothing there, not even sunrise. Zancha replied, Urza walked us under the sun. That's why we missed the sunrise. And I'll try not to drop the sphere through a storm again. She left Radipi's other observation behind on the ground as the sphere flowed around them and lifted them into the air. Urza waited not far from the place where Zancha had read the Thran glyphs. He was taller than any mortal man and clad in his full panoply of robes armored in the colors of sorcery. His hand circled the gnarled wood of a war staff capped with a peculiar blue-gray metal. His eyes were hard and faceted, as if he'd seen nothing so puny as flesh, but his voice was strong and vibrant when he greeted them. Gix is here, waiting for me. The scents of Phyrexia were indeed in the air, glistening oil, fourth-sphere fumes, and the malevolence Zancha recognized as Gix. She yawned out her armor while Urza laid hands on Radipi's shoulders. The young effin glowed like swamp water once they entered the cavern. Sunlight ended ten paces into the upper glyph-covered chamber. Urza's warstaff emitted a steady light from the edges of its many blades. The light reached to the glyph-covered walls. Phyrexian, you say? Urza asked. Close enough. Do you want to read through my eyes? Not yet. After I've waited too long to taste vengeance against the Phyrexian who destroyed my brother. It's hard enough to know that Gix is one of the Thran, one of the ones who got away. I don't want to know the rest. Not yet. And once I know it, then I'll decide if it's worth remembering. I have much to do, Zancha. I cannot always embrace the truths that might be written on stone walls. I know that's been hard for you, but it's been even harder for me. The ultimate confession from a crazed and foolish man who lived on the other side of the wall... They continued to the rear of the chamber, where Radipi had spotted a passage. Without torches or power stone eyes, he'd been unable to explore it. The passage sloped steeply downward and was marred by deep gouges in stone. Zancha walked on Urza's left, a half-pace behind. Radipi held a similar place on Urza's right. We took everything, Radipi whispered softly, but in Koilos a whisper carried like a shout. Urza didn't tell him to be quiet, so Radipi continued. The chamber below... Where we found the stones, we stripped it bare. We needed the metal. At the end, we were so desperate for metal, any metal, that we opened tombs and took the grave goods from our dead and fueled our smelters with their bones. So did we, brother, Urza assured him. So did we. Zancha saw light ahead, the harsh, gray light of Phyrexia. The second chamber of Koilos was as large as the first and empty, except for Gix, who stood somewhat behind dead center. Zancha expected some preliminary taunting and boasting, but... Neither Urza nor Gix was a young mortal with an itch for glory. They'd come to kill or be killed. All their wives had been buried long ago. Gix attacked first as they emerged from the passageway. He didn't waste time or effort with side attacks against Zancha or Radipi. They weren't innocents with rights to Urza's protection. 
They'd come of their own free will. They'd be meat at best if Urza failed to win. The rubine gem in the demon's bulging forehead shone bright. A thumbnail-sized spot of the same color appeared on Urza's breast. Heartbeats later, a boulder, Urza high and Urza wide, bilis green and glassy, stood where Urza had stood between Zancha and Radipi. The boulder blew apart an instant later. Fists of stone hammered Zancha from face to toes and threw her back against the chamber wall. Radipi was on the floor, covered in a thick layer of dust. Two counterspinning coils of fire and light whirled around the demon until he spread his arms to vanquish them. An ambulator took shape, closer to Urza than to Gix. The ambulator heaved and rotated upward, sprouting a toothy hole of a mouth and many viscous, reaching arms. An arm came close enough to Zancha that she judged it prudent to put a little distance between herself and the duel. She scuttled crabwise along the curving chamber wall and was relieved to see Radipi do the same on the other side. Urza spoke a word, and the ambulator creature became a sooty smear. He did nothing at all that Zancha could see, and yet Gix was slammed against the chamber's far wall. A crystal sarcophagus surrounded the demon. Zancha thought that might be the end, but purple fumes rose from the crystal, and Urza disappeared as manic wailing filled the barren chamber. Gix shook off the dissolving crystal and clambered to his metallic feet. Zancha took heart from the fact that the demon wasn't claiming victory by targeting her or Radipi. His oddly shaped head swiveled frantically. The ruban light danced over the naked stone, leaving a trail of smoke as Gix sought a target. Twice the demon blew feudal craters in the rock, but he was ready when ghostly blue arms seized him from behind. Urza landed on his back in the middle of the chamber. The impact shook jagged stones the size of a man's torso from the ceiling. Both combatants righted themselves and backed away from each other. The testing phase was over. The duel began in earnest with flurries of attacks that ebbed and flowed too fast for Zancha's eyes. The demon was stronger, cleverer, and much more resilient than she believed after seeing him flee the dragon in Pincher City. She thought of the exoration. It had taken a clutch of demons to wrestle Gix into the fumarole. She suspected that he was the only one who'd survived. Urza succeeded in melting away one of Gix's legs, though it was little more than inconvenience in a battle that wasn't about physical injury. And though Urza seemed to have an advantage more often than not, he couldn't deliver a killing attack. Not that he didn't try in a hundred different ways, from elemental ice to conjured beasts and the ghosts of artifacts he and Mishra had wielded against each other. Gix counted them all, sometimes barely, with an equally bewildering assortment of arcane memories and devices. Eventually, when it became apparent that neither flesh nor guile was going to tilt the balance, Urza and Gix locked themselves in a contest of pure will that manifested itself in an increasingly complex web of blue, white, and crimson light. The spindle-shaped web stretched between Urza's eyes and Gix's gem-studded forehead. At its widest, which was also its middle and the middle of the chamber, the web did not descend to the floor. Sparing nothing for the effect, the web gave off neither heat nor sound and endured without really changing until Zancha had to breathe again. How long, she asked herself, could they remain entrapped in each other? Her best answer, for a very long time. She got up to her feet. Look at Urza's eyes, Radipi shouted from the other side of the chamber. Zancha had to walk closer than she considered wise before she found a slit in the web that let her down and look at the spindle to Urza's face. She didn't see anything strange, nothing stranger than two specks as bright as the sun, but she didn't have Radipi's rapport with the weak stone. And as Radipi's voice had seemed to have no effect on the duel, she asked, what, what am I looking for? You can't see everything changing, coming back from the past or going back to it? She started to say that she couldn't see anything changing and swallowed the words. Shadows were growing in the Koilos chamber. Not shadows cast by the web's light, but shadows cast by time, growing more substantial as each moment passed. 
Metal columns grew along the wall. Great machines, worthy of phyrexia, loomed up from the floor. Beneath the widest part of the light-woven spindle, a low platform came into being. Mirrors sprang up in a circle behind both Gix and Urza, behind Zancha and Radipi as well. An object similar to Avahir's great book, but made from metal like Urza's staff, grew atop the platform. As Zancha watched, phyrexian glyphs formed on the smooth metal leaves. Zancha was waiting for those glyphs to become legible when dull-colored metal sprang out from the central platform. The metal shaped itself into four rising prongs like uplifted hands. His eyes, Zancha! His eyes! They're going back! Gix is dragging them back through time! The weak stone and the might stone had been pulled out of Urza's skull and were advancing through the spindle. Gix had said the Thran are waiting, and when the power stones merged into the prongs, Urza would be in the hands of the Thran. Radipi shouted, We can stop them! No! We can! Not if you're getting influence from the weak stone. It's Thran. It belongs to Gix. No wonder he was waiting here. Zancha would have sobbed if the armor had let her. We can stop this, Zancha. Gix is sending the power stones into the past. All we have to do is get there first. Zancha shook her head, never mind that she couldn't see Radipi. That's the weak stone influencing you, she shouted. Gix! Phyrexia! Her gut said anything she did would only make things worse, if anything could be worse than watching Urza become a tool of the Phyrexian Thran. She was paralyzed, frightened as she'd never been before, except perhaps at the very beginning of the Vat Priests told the Newts to listen and obey. Meet me in the light, Zancha! On the other side of the spindle, Radipi thrust his hands into the web. From Zancha's side, looking into the spindle, his flesh had become transparent and his bones gleamed with golden light. Now, Zancha! The Power Stones had traveled half the distance to the prongs. The etched metal glyphs were legible. If she could have concentrated and read them, she walked to the right place, the place opposite of Radipi, then hugged herself tightly, tucking her hands beneath her arms, lest she move without thinking. I need to be sure, she shouted. Be sure that Gix wants the Weak Stone and Might Stone, not you and me. At the least, we can give him what he doesn't want. It's all that we got to give. Zancha reached for the spindle. The light repelled her as his armor. A good omen or a bad one? For whom? She didn't know and tucked her hands beneath her arms again. I can't, Radipi. I'm Phyrexian. I can't trust myself. I'm always wrong. The Power Stones were three quarters of the way. The devices beyond the ring of mirrors thrummed to life. I'm not, and I'm never going to be. I'm never wrong about you. Meet me in the light, Zancha. We're going to end the war. Zancha shed her armor and thrust her hands into the spindle. Be gone. Listen and obey. Be gone. Do not interfere. The demon's anger roaring through Zancha's mind could have been deception. Gix should have known that she would, in the end, disobey his command, in which case Gix had outwitted them all and wanted her to reach into the light. But on the chance that he wasn't quite that imaginative, Zancha extended her arms to their fullest reach. Time and space changed around her. She left her body behind, to the right the weak stone and the might stone, two great glowing spheres rolling toward her, fighting, losing. To the left was the unspeakable, blood-red maw of Gix, calling the stones, sucking them to their doom. Straight ahead stood Radipi, son of Medea, with a radiant smile and outstretched arms. Their fingers touched. Gix turned his wrath on her and on Radipi. It was the last thing the demon did. Zancha felt the stones free themselves to destroy the enemy they'd been created to destroy. As for her and Radipi, they were together. Nothing else mattered. And Rat's face, joyous as they embraced, was a glorious sight to carry into the darkness. For Urza, the battle had ended suddenly, in a matter of moments and without easy explanation. 
One moment, Mishra and Zatra had been blocking the light, arms outstretched and reaching toward each other, not him. The next moment, less than a moment, the fireball had filled the lower chamber. Once again, his eyes had lifted him out of death's closing fist. His Thran eyes had guarded this cavern for 4,000 years before he and his brother found them, and they still preferred to see it in its glory, filled with engines, artifacts, and power stone mirrors. Or should he say, Phyrexian eyes. It scarcely mattered. Urza's borrowed eyes preserved him as the fireball raged like a short-lived sun. The sunball consumed itself, quickly, Urza thought, though he remembered Argoth and that the time he'd spent completely within the power stones could not be measured. As his eyes recorded it, there was a fire and then the fire was gone, two edges of the cut made by an infinitely sharp knife without a gap between them. There had been no visions as there had been the other times when the Mightstone and Weakstone had held him in their power. No explanations, however cryptic. Nothing except a dusty voice that said, It is over. He had a sense, much less than a vision, that Mishra had grasped Zancha's hand just before the explosion consumed them. In the aftermath, silence reigned. A natural silence. Urza wasn't deaf, but there was nothing left to hear. Urza thought light, and it flowed outward from him. Zancha! He called, because he'd been without his brother before. Her name echoed off the chamber's scorched walls. He was alone. At the end, she'd chosen Mishra. Charming, lively Mishra. Urza wished them joy wherever they'd gone. He wished them peace, far away from any Phyrexian or Thran design. They had earned peace vanquishing their shared enemy, Gix. The demon had vanished within the power stone-derived fireball. There was nothing left. Urza's eyes told him that. He could hear them now, faint and smug in his skull. The truth was written on the upper chamber ceiling. The Thran had fought amongst themselves, fought as only brothers could fight, with a blindness that transcended hatred. Remembering the battle the weak stone and might stone had shown him the last time he'd come to Koilos, Urza realized he truly did not know which army had escaped to Phyrexia, if indeed Zancha's ineffable hadn't slipped away to create Phyrexia before that fatal day. Standing in the Koilos cavern, Urza concluded that he'd have to continue his experiments with time, because he'd have to go back himself, not to a moment in his own lifetime, but to the Thran, Gix, and all the others. Not yet, Urza cautioned himself. This would be a cunning war. Gix was still extant in the past. Yogmoth and the other Phyrexians were in the past, the present, and the future, too. The battle, the real battle for Dominaria had, in a sense, just begun. It would be fought in the past and in the future, and Urza would have no allies, none at all, not Thanos, not Mishra. Urza recalled light and moved along the blackened corridor to the surface. No real body, no real need for light or anything else. A weight tugged against him. Zancha's heart, which the Power Stones, his eyes, had preserved. He wasn't alone, or he would never be alone.